Morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here in the room. Glad you're joining us from wherever you are, home or somewhere else. Um, I have always loved Dr. Seuss. I, I always. And uh, one of my favorites of his books is called The Sneetches. I don't know if you remember this or not, but The Sneetches are funny yellow creatures who live on beaches. I just love all the rhyming. And in the story, these creatures are divided into two groups. Those who have green stars on their bellies, and then those who don't. Now, the green-starred sneetches are the insiders. They build exclusive campfires where they sing their little songs. And the sneetches without the green stars, well, they're outsiders. But one day... A fix-it-up chappy named Sylvester McMonkey McBean comes to town with a strange contraption that's called a star-on machine. And for $3, Sneetches can line up and get a green star on their belly. Now, naturally, no, no star Sneetches would ignore this opportunity, and they lined up. But the in-crowd Sneetches well, this means they're no longer special. And they didn't like this very much. But Sylvester McMonkey McBean had another plan. He had also a star off machine. And for $10, you could get your star removed. It's a belly star makeover, which starts this whole new insider trend. And you can imagine the chaos. It goes back and forth, star on, star off, star off, star on, until, as Dr. Seuss says it, neither the plane nor the star bellies knew whether this one was that one or that one was this one or which one was what one and what one was who. Now, this modern-day parable reveals a profound truth about our relationship with God and our relationships with other people, about the agony of being an outsider, and about the thrill and pride of being on the inside. C.S. Lewis wrote about this, about this reality of insiders and outsiders, and this is what he said. You discover gradually in almost indefinable ways that this inner ring of inclusion and exclusion exists and that you are on the outside of it. And then later, perhaps, you are inside it. I believe that in all of our lives at certain periods and in many of our lives at all periods between infancy, infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is the drive to be inside the local ring. And the terror of being left outside of it. Do you have a story of being left out? Do you ever feel like you never fit in? Do you feel that way right now? I remember as a child never feeling smart enough. 
I often describe myself as being painfully average. School took a lot of effort, a lot of effort, a lot of times. Um, I wasn't naturally gifted athletically. And growing up in a small town in a small school meant that you participated in all the things, even if you didn't enjoy it very much. At least if you wanted to be included and sit at the popular table. I enjoyed music, but the message I got was that music wasn't all that important, um, not an in thing to do. Uh, friendships were also hard work. I, I had friends, uh, but not a best friend. And my friends always had other best friends. I was a good kid, but I oftentimes felt like I lived kind of on the edge of life. And I wanted so much to get to the center. Did you ever feel that way? And this feeling of being left out has chased me into adulthood. Um, I've had the good fortune of, of working in several churches over the past 35 years, all wonderful places, wonderful people. But I always felt a bit on the outside, uh, a B player on an A team, not included in the inner circle, not part of the inner conversations. Moving to Cedar Falls was one of the biggest gifts in our family's life. But we were outsiders without a reputation or a local history. I remember how deeply disappointed we were when our children were denied access to certain groups and activities simply because we didn't grow up here. And even today, after 23 years, I'm still introducing myself to people in the community as if we moved here yesterday. There's this, this feeling of invisibility and unnoticedness that has haunted me and it's not a very good feeling it hurts have you felt that way have you ever felt like you don't belong you're not included have you ever been Treated like an outsider, living on the edge of life. And our current reality sure doesn't help, does it? So much is dividing us these days. If you heard Carla last week, she mentioned some of this. Politics, views about racial injustice, perspectives on protests, opinions on climate change, pro-life, versus pro-choice, responses to the pandemic, wear a mask, don't wear a mask, school open, school closed, the economy, how to vote, views about gender and sexual identity, religious freedom, and the best way to do church during a pandemic. And the list goes on. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's sitting at the popular table? 
And who's left out? So we're in week two of this October series called Upside Down. Jesus said that life in the kingdom of his father is often the polar opposite of how life works in the world. And this kind of teaching was hard for Jesus' listeners to understand. And it's just as hard today, especially in this chaotic, tension-filled world we're living in right now. It's so, it's so tempting to just go with the flow, isn't it? And try to fit in, to wiggle our way into the in crowd, to find that place at the popular table that includes the loudest voice. It's so important right now that the church and all who follow Jesus revisit Jesus' upside-down kingdom ethics. And not just revisit them, but commit to practice them in our everyday. But something is out of joint in the church right now. Because the tension and division we're experiencing is so unlike Jesus. Although he always held to the truth, he did it with grace. His life and his ministry weren't marked by fear and, and anger, but, but by compassion and by love. And Jesus always moved toward people who were on the edge of the crowd, the marginalized, the lost, rather than to the center table where the insiders ruled. Luke 15 contains three of Jesus' most probably famous parables. The story of the shepherd who lost one of his 100 sheep and went out to find it. The story of the widow who had this big bag of cones, coins, lost a coin and hunted and searched to find it. And then the story of the lost son, which we call the prodigal son. Now, why did Jesus tell these three stories? Well, the answer is in verses 1 and 2, which tell of a division between the upset religious insiders of the day and the outsiders who didn't meet their standards. And in the midst of it, we find Jesus compassionately hanging out with some of the worst kind of people. So verse 1 says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Jesus was in the outer court of the temple, and gathered around him were tax collectors and sinners, the outsiders. Now the tax collectors were Jews who had sold out to the occupying Roman Empire to collect these sky-high taxes from their own people, add a little bit more even to skim some off the top, and they did all of this on behalf of the empire. No one was looked down on more by the insiders than the tax collectors. They probably sat at that lunch table way off in the corner over there. 
And the sinners, the sinners were people who did whatever they wanted with no concern for the rules that the religious insiders thought were so important. And they probably didn't even have a table in the lunchroom. Jesus is with the outsiders. And watching are the insiders. And they're grumbling, saying, well, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus is on the margin with the outsiders. And the religious insiders are grumbling and muttering. We do that too, don't we? We grumble. We complain about people like that. But that's who Jesus welcomed and befriended. Jesus welcomed and befriended outsiders. Now, the religious insiders' hatred of the sinners and the tax collectors, well, it's kind of a problem. They understood about God's holiness and perfection, but knew nothing about God's compassion, mercy, and grace. And that's why Jesus told these stories. They show that, they show that a God who had lost something valuable would be compelled to go after it. And don't get me wrong, Jesus doesn't condone anyone's sin. There's actually a huge risk for Jesus to be on the margins of the crowd. If he hangs out with those kinds of people, some people might think that he's light on sin. But in response, he tells a story about the lost son. And he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between his sons. And then Jesus goes on. Not longer after, after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. In these two verses... Jesus makes a very clear point about the weight of sin by showing how the son offended his father. First, he asked for his inheritance early. You didn't do that. It's like wishing your parents are dead. And second, it says that the youngest son got together all he had. He cashes out his share of the estate. And back then, wealth was measured in lands, land and flocks. So the son, he takes his inheritance, he sells off his portion of the land, he cashes out all of his estates, and you don't do that either. You don't sell land that belongs to your family. I mean, land is a, is a valuable family heritage. And then third, it says the son squandered his wealth in wild living. You know, back then, elderly parents made it through their later days by living off the estate. And this rebellious son sells his part of the estate. He spends his family's social security system on wild living in a distant country. Jesus makes it 
clear that he understands the weight of sin. This boy goes down this slippery slope of really bad choices. He did anything he wanted, no boundaries. This boy in every way is the wrong kind of person. So Jesus continues. After the son had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Story, story says he, he even wished he could eat the pig's food. This boy quickly moved from being a popular insider to a broken outsider. And some of us have been there. We slipped down that slope because of our choices and found ourselves in a place that we could never have imagined. We're emptied of everything good and right. We find ourselves living on the edge of life, invisible and desperate. Finally, the sun comes to his senses, and, and we do that too. We go to bed at night, we put our heads on our pillow, and we say to ourselves, how did this happen? How did I get here? I can't believe it turned out this way. When the son comes to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father. And then he practices this little speech to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Have you ever met somebody who says, I don't like where I ended up. I need God's help. And, and they reach out to God, but at the same time they say, they say keep, keep your distance, God, because I'm, I'm no good. And that's actually what the son does here. He wants to belong, but he sees himself as damaged goods, not worthy of his father's love. And with this story, Jesus makes his point. I am compassionately committed to the worst kinds of people, but I know that sin is a weighty thing. And at this point, the religious leaders, the religious insiders, must have clapped and agreed and, and thought, yes, exactly. They're sinners. They're an offense to God and, and, and us good people. They're awful. They don't belong. Amen. Preach it, Jesus. But Jesus doesn't end there. He turns from the weight of sin toward God. He turns from the sinner to the worth of the sinner's life in God's eyes. Jesus demonstrates the value of every broken, marginalized outsider in his father's eyes. Jesus keeps going. 
So the son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. You know, and I always wondered how the father saw his son from a long way off. I wouldn't be surprised if this dad, on a regular basis, walking around his estate, didn't look down that road and think to himself, is today the day that my son comes home? You know, if I were that dad, honestly, and I saw that boy coming down the road, I might think to myself, well, would you look at that? The kid's crawling back home. Now, what are people going to think? And does he even know how much he's offended me and hurt me? But the story says, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The one offended the most was the one who cared the most for this boy. And that explains why Jesus is on the margins with the outsiders. He knows they're sinners. He knows exactly who they are. But he knows their worth. He feels compassion for them. And he reaches out to welcome them. The one offended the most is the one who cares the most for lost kids. Story says the dad ran to meet him, his son. He threw his arms around him, kissing him over and over. And that would have shocked the religious insiders. A kiss is a sign of acceptance and love. The father, he publicly welcomes and he restores his son with a kiss. And that's, that's unacceptable. You just don't do that. The religious insiders would have been deeply offended by this twist in the story. And the boy says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worried, worthy to be called your son. I'm damaged goods, Dad. Keep your distance. I'm no good. And he throws himself on his father's mercy. But the son is stunned by his father's grace. The one he had offended so much cares so much about him. And I'll admit it, I probably would have grounded him for six months and then let his mother have Adam. But the father, the father takes him back to his estate. He says, bring my boy a robe, which was a sign of belonging in the family. And he says, give my son the family ring which was a sign of family authority. And he, and he says, get shoes for the boy's feet, which was a sign of a free man, not a slave, not an outsider. Father says, my lost child has been found. God the Father beautifully recognized this, the worth of the sinner, offers forgiveness, he doesn't put him on probation. He brings him back into the fi family. No conditions, no probation. Fully restored to the father and the family. And Jesus says, I'm at the margins. 
Because God the Father has compassion on the outsider, longs to welcome them home and tell them they belong in our family. Jesus told this story to explain to these grumbling religious insiders why he was compassionately on the edge of the crowd. This story forces us to take a long, hard look at our souls. I mean, it sure forces me to. When I see those around me, maybe the worst kind of people or, or those so different from me, in thought and values and behavior and orientation. Do I see them through the eyes of compassion? Do I understand not only the weight of sin, which we all share, but also their worth and value to God? Or am I still mad at those kind of people and full of hatred and judgment? Ask yourself, who are those kind of people in my life? Who do I mutter and grumble about? Who do I look down on? Who do I think I am better than? Who are my outsiders? God challenges us to let his compassion flow through us. And no, it's not easy. It's not easy to believe that that out is the new in. If I were to die today, and I found myself standing there on the edge of heaven, and God were to say to me, why should I let you win? My answer would be, not because of anything I did. Because I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. I'm damaged goods. It would have to be totally by your grace, Father. You know, I find myself at this point in my life feeling ashamed for the many squandered moments when I didn't recognize people who stood on the edge of life, on the margin, the outsiders, times when I thought I was better than them, when I thought I had the right answers and they were wrong. Wrong in who they were, how they lived, wrong in the choices that they made. My desperate need to be an insider drove me away from people who God loves deeply. It clouded my ability to see myself for who I really am, a sinner saved by grace. I squandered opportunities to share God's love and grace, and I lost, I lost the opportunity to know God better. All people matter to God, especially those who are outsiders. And because they matter to God, they should matter to us. All people, all the time. It's an upside-down way of thinking. But that's what living in Jesus' kingdom looks like. So where are we? Where are you? Are we long on judgment and short on mercy? Do we have more commitment to division and self-righteousness than we do to the compassion and the grace of God? Something needs to change. 
We need to move from being grumbling, muttering insiders, self-righteously protecting the seats at the popular table, out to the margins, out to the furthest tables filled with broken people just like us. And you know what? That's where we'll find Jesus. Because out is the new in. Let's pray. God, thank you for your stories, your parables. As hard as they are to listen to and, and as hard as they are to, to personalize and because when we do listen to them, we see you, we see your Father, we see others through you and your Father's eyes, and, and we see this upside-down kingdom that you called us to live in. Help us to believe, God, that it is the best place, it is the best way to live. Help us to be people filled with compassion, and grace and love who are willing step away from the center and move to the edge to love the outsiders and the marginalized with the same love that you offered to us. In Jesus' name, amen.